Hi, I'm Rick Hugh, and welcome to the Winding Life Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Mark Joyner. Mark is a senior leader and connector at a leading international accounting services firm. I first met Mark a few years ago at a Creative Destruction Lab session, and I had an enlightening conversation with him. Earlier this year, Mark wrote a deeply insightful and well-received piece on LinkedIn describing his thoughts and personal practice to live a well-balanced life. Mark's pathway seems to have been focused and direct, upwards and to the right, but scratch a little deeper and I learned about how Mark views risk and decision-making and some of the challenges he has experienced. I also learned how his family and friends have had such a deep impact on these views. We conclude the podcast exploring Ikigai, the Japanese concept to describe our reason for being. We find Ikigai in that magical intersection between what we love, what we're good at, what we can get paid for, and what the world needs. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Thanks, Mark. Uh, thank you for joining joining us today. We've got Mark Joyner, whom I've known for quite a few years, and uh, we first met at a innovation um, creative destruction lab session a few years ago. And recently, Mark um, has been putting a lot of effort and thought into work-life balance. Not that it's recent for him, but recently a lot of really interesting publications. And uh, I thought it would be the ideal uh, person to come and talk with us um, on this podcast, The Winding Life. Thanks for having me, Rick. So Mark, uh, please just give me an introduction of who you are, what you do, and, uh, and, and you know, what, what you're sort of, what, who, who you are right now. Who am I right now? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I'm uh, married, four kids, ages uh, 13 to 23. So big, you know, family plays a uh, huge part of my, in my, in my, uh, in my, in my life. Um, and grew up in Montreal, and it's just a, you know, run-of-the-mill, middle-class guy, kind of just uh, fun. Um, and uh, went to university in Waterloo uh, for accounting business. Um, and, you know, traveled a bit of the world in, in Paris with, uh, with work. And, uh, Worked effectively in uh, Toronto, Calgary, and Paris. It's been good, uh, good ride. And um, and so, in in terms of you know how you got to all those places, um, what what did you what was um, what was what were some of the formative influences in, in your life? So so I've I've per- pursued um, a career now for thirty years in, in public accounting. Um, it's been a great um, great experience, uh, but it started as a funny experience because one of my uh, longtime friends um, and I in college in Montreal were trying to figure out what we should do with our lives, mm-hmm. and um, we just approached one of our professors after class one day and said, you know, so. Listen, um, his, his name was Tarek Zami, so I, I still remember one of the professionals. I still actually remember. And, I, and I, I, we asked him. We said, you know, what, what should we do if we want to have a lot of credibility in business, and you know, have a great career? And he said, you know, get your CA. And our response was, what's a CA? <laughs> so he promptly explained to us and, and what it was, and explained to us what the benefit was. And 
from that point on, uh, both of us actually pursued uh, getting our charter accounting uh, designation, uh, and both of us became partners ultimately in our respective uh, organizations. So, so clearly, at least consciously, that wasn't your that wasn't your destination. <laughs> no, but. We, uh, were you already doing business um, at university, or was it, or did you have some general pathway there? So I, 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 was, I was studying general business in, in college, in yep. uh, like in Montreal, between high school and universities of college, um, and so I had a general idea I wanted to go into business, but no idea specifically where where that was going to take me. Um, you know, I thought potentially we'd go to investment banking or management consulting or something like that. Um, but I guess when we were heavily influenced by, by this professor. So, so was, uh, was business um, as a university uh, subject, was that because of family influence or was it because people that you knew or was it? Uh... it, it it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. So um, I had an entrepreneurial kind of itch from yeah. early on. Um, you know, probably started when I was about 12. Um, both my parents at that time were real estate agents and I saw a need uh, or an opportunity, I guess, to um, create a business. Um, at that time, it was before the internet, all that, um, the, the technology. So when real estate agents wanted to identify or to, to, to tell people that there was a house for sale in the neighborhood, we actually physically delivered. <laughs> pieces of paper in people's mailboxes. So it was like, uh, oh, it was like a Twitter or Instagram. Yeah, it was, it was a manual Twitter, <laughs> manual Twitter. So, so it was great, so I created a business at, at the age of 12 and had you know three of my friends as, as employees and that was amazing, um, you know, and, and so that, you know, gave me lots of uh, confidence in terms of just pursuing ideas and just seeing what could happen with them. And, uh, did that did that really excite you? Was it the, the ability to to sort of grow that business? Was what was what was it that really sort of turned you on to that? I, I think I, it was it was seeing uh, a need, and you know, and when I looked at it at twelve, and you know, frankly, and, and maybe this might be crass saying this, but when I could, I was I was I was making four cents a card and paying my friend three cents a card. So I was thinking like, okay, I'm making money sitting at home. <laughs> so I was like, this is a good gig. So, you know, there was just, there was just something about that, that that just seemed interesting. Like, how does this work? Right. And um, because of, you know, the relationships that my both my parents had, I was able to leverage off of those relationships. And then from there, um, you know, develop relationships directly with the agents. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was, it looked really simple when, um, when I was able to let leverage those relationships, and that's something I've throughout my whole career, right? So, so that uh, that brought you to the to the sort of general pathway, and then yeah. and then your professor just said to you, you know, become a chartered accountant. Yeah, <laughs> young impressionable young men that we were, we just said, sure, let's do that. And so, did that did that immediately sort of get you get you started on that pathway? Was there uh, was the it sounds like the intention was after after that pointing that it was sort of a, a direct pathway. Yeah, I, I don't think it would be a direct pathway. It would be that would be incorrect to say that. I think the initial getting a CA was you know the the initial pathway, but the intention was at that point to do do something different after that. Um, you know, I was you know when 
especially when I was going through, there was you know, a three-year like incubation period where you had to like, work in a firm for three years, and the view was I was probably the most likely person to leave on day three years in one day. <laughs> but um, 30 years later, I'm still in the profession, so it's uh, clearly... Yeah. And so, at, at that time, were there other things that really drew you to that, to this sort of pathway? Um, you mentioned earlier your, your business experience, but were there other aspects of it that were really, um, really sort of uh, attractive to you? Yeah, I, I think it was just, um, when you look at it from a business perspective, I think my biggest mentor over my, my life, um, in, in all aspects of my life, um, has been my mother. Uh, she was very successful in all the things that she uh, endeavored to do, um, and in a way, there was, an, uh, there, was a, there was a view that I would potentially emulate her, like I would be able to try to, you know, replicate the success that she's had in life, um, especially in business, um, and that was exciting to me, right? So just kind of see if I could, if I could do something like that. <laughs> so you, you finish your, your, your CA? Yeah. And then, were you already in a firm at that at that point? Yeah, so I started I started as a co-op student um, in uh, in 1992. So, uh, um, very wet behind the ears. I don't think I was shaving at that point. Um, so uh, it was uh, yeah. I started as a co-op student. So I spent a couple of years as a co-op student, then uh, then full time, um, and then uh, through a bunch of circumstances, ended up. Uh, in Paris, working in Paris for a couple years. So. so I noticed that about you, and that you'd spent some time in Paris, and um, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, it's not all people at an accounting firm go to Paris as part of their job. Yeah. How, how did that come about, and how was the, you know, what was what were you think what were you thinking of, about you know, to to go to Paris? Um, I know going to Paris is a great thing. Yeah. I think that. <laughs> You know, just trying to get an idea as to your thinking behind that. Yeah, so I, so I think I'd say it wasn't well thought out at first. It, it, it became well thought out. Uh, it initially started my um, my wife Leslie and I were getting married in, in December '96, and, and asked my my firm at the time if I could take a year sabbatical. Um, and ultimately, uh, as much as the partner was really excited about that opportunity, he was an adventurer as well. Um, uh, ultimately, they came back and said, "We can't really, we can't really do that. I can guarantee you a job when you come back." And um, around the same time, I, was, I started looking at other opportunities to to, to leave the firm, um, and was uh, promptly told by a headhunter that um, I was down the desk and no different than anybody else. And if I wanted to actually improve my chances of getting a great role, I should actually differentiate myself. How did that strike you? I mean, that that you know, was it was it an epiphany or? Uh, I was angry at first. <laughs> I was revolted because I thought, you know, you know, I was whatever twenty six years old, well thought up in my organization, yeah. and you know, I felt like my initial reaction, admittedly, was, you know, who does this guy think he is? And then when I went home. Um, Kind of calmed down, and I went, "Oh, yeah, I think he's right." So <laughs> there is no, I, there is no differentiator to me right now. Everybody who's going through this um, kind of exercise of getting their CA has the same qualities or similar qualities yes. that I have. So 
uh, I then approached the, the firm and said, okay, let's, let's look at an international uh, posting, specifically Paris. And I, I was bold enough when they asked me for three options. I had Paris, France was the first option, yeah. Paris, France is the second option, and Paris, France is the third option. So I think they got that I wanted to go to Paris. So, and that's from my Montreal background. So it's this kind of... So the, the bilingualism made a big difference for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and what was it about the the Paris experience that uh, you know, other than being in Paris, clearly, I mean, that's also the experience. But yeah, where, what were the highlights for you of, of that, and what did it, what did what did it bring you? What did you leave with? Yeah, so so I, I can say now I wouldn't have been as forthright at the time, but the plan was to go to Paris, you know, get that differentiating experience, and come back and, and do something else. Go back go into, as I mentioned earlier, into investment banking or management consulting. And but during those two years in Paris, I had the richest experience I could possibly imagine. I, I was all over Europe. I was doing, um, you know, I, I went over as an auditor and I basically came out as a commando because I was doing special projects, be it M&A, um, be it due diligence, fraud investigations, um, whole bunch of different special projects, pan-European, um, and in very, um, I guess, uncomfortable situations for me, where there's different languages, uh, whether it was Eastern Europe, former Soviet Union, um, Italy, like, name the country, it was it was fascinating. So a little bit like the, what we would stereotype as being like the James Bond type of... Well, I don't know. <laughs> it was, it was, I didn't wear my tuxedo every day to work, but no, but it was, but it was, it was fascinating in that, yeah. in that, you know, I, I found myself going home when I got back to Paris, um, you know, oddly saying to, to my wife, saying, you know, I think I actually like this. This is actually fascinating. It's a rich experience. Um, I'm on edge all the time. I don't know what I'm gonna to do tomorrow or next week. And it can be totally different in a totally different jurisdiction. So that was exciting for me. It was, it was career enhancing and rich. So that, that really attracted me, so. So that was, so you were a year in Paris? Two years, two years, two years yeah. And, and so uh, what drew you away from Paris? It sounds like Paris was <laughs> like for a, a young couple, an ideal uh, ideal setting for, for you know, uh, a rich and interesting life. Yeah, it, it certainly would have been, um, and we did. We did definitely consider it both within the organization and, and then uh, looking um, externally. Um, our first child, who's now 23, was born uh, in February of, of the year that we kind of had to make a decision of uh, you know, should we stay or should we go, and we just made the decision that was family was was really critical. Um, my uh, my wife's mother had cancer, um, and with the baby, we just we just decided, you know, at least for a short while, yep. um, going back to family was was key, and you know, so that was that was the plan. So, so that was a um, that was a conscious decision. Absolutely. Was it a hard decision? Uh, it was it was a hard decision because there were so many amazing opportunities that were put in front of me. So it felt like I had been. Um, you know, plopped in front of a, an amazing buffet at a three-star Michelin restaurant, but instead I had to leave the restaurant. And so that was that was hard in that way because there were so many opportunities, but but in a way it wasn't because 
you know, my wife and I have always been very clear in what's important and having that dialogue on what's important in life at that stage and at that point. Um, really, family was really key and more so than career enhancing experiences and money and stuff like that. We just, it was, it was an easy decision in the grand scheme of things, um, but, you know, there were points where we were. So, <laughs> be, so was, that, was that something that, that you've always felt? Because you know, there, there are people who sort of go headlong in one direction and suddenly hit the wall and realize maybe you should change direction. It sounded like for you, you've already been thinking some, some, somewhat along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, when, when I was starting my career, you know, the, the, the ultimate objective, if you want to call it, was, you know, earning $100,000 a year by the time I was 30. And then had this, this epiphany when I was 30 and I was making more than $100,000 a year, going, okay, and, and to what end? <laughs> I was like, to what end? Right. So what? <laughs> like, am I happier? Am I not? Like, so it, it, it really, and then, you know, I mean, I'm not the first person to say when you start having children and you have a, a family spouse who cares for you and you care for them, that other things become important. And, you know, money wasn't, um, wasn't a driver. And so what, what did Paris leave you with in, in terms of, you know, you're, you're the person who you are? So I think, uh, I don't know, I mean, it's, it, it gave me a lot of confidence to try new things, to be adaptable. Um, it gave me a grounding in family, of course. Um, and, and it just gave me, I don't know, uh, yeah, I'd say confidence is the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Confidence to go and try different things and just have trust that it's all going to work out. Right? It's um, I can be thrown into uh, interesting, unique situations or unique to me at least situations and persist. And that adaptability and, and grounding was good. We we hear a lot in the startup community about fail fast. Yeah. And I mean, was that sort of the the concept in that try, try, try? I, I don't know. I don't know actually if it would be the fail fast because, and, and that was this, this preceded like that term that, that is now ubiquitous. Yes. But, but I think it was more, you've got this. Um, you know, I remember at one point, uh, just to make it real for a second, um, we, were, we were working on a global proposal for. Uh, an organization that, that all your listeners would, would, would know about. Um, and just so happened that the leaders couldn't actually go. So they said, well, Mark, you go to, you go to Sweden and represent the global firm at this. And I looked at them like they, like they had three heads. Like, are you serious? And then finally they were like, no, you can go. You're, 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 you're only a manager, but you're like, go, presentable. go, you're presentable, go and do it. And I just went and, you know, <laughs> I represented the global firm and, and it was an interesting experience and I didn't, nobody bit me, <laughs> like it was okay. So there's experiences like that um, where, you know, you just, you, you, you just figure it out yeah. and, you know, you're kind of going, okay, what's the worst can happen, right? So. So yeah, I think that that's 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 a, you know the the thing to keep in mind. What's the worst that could happen? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, along the way, um, 
you've probably had some real challenges. Yeah. Um, and because um, I think introspection and thinking about work and life, that also often needs um, some type of a catalyst, yeah. some, some type of a, you know, initiator. And so was there something like that for you in, in, in your life? Yeah, I mean, it's probably the most profound thing for me is um, when I was 16, so my parents divorced. Uh, my father did not take it well. Um, it was not his decision. And um, when I say he didn't take it well, he really didn't take it well. Um, so he was suicidal. Um, and um, I, I was the person he would call when he was... Yeah. Were you when, the oldest? And... I was the eldest, yeah. yeah. So I have a younger sister who's two years younger. Yeah. And um, so it was, it was a challenge. So um, he'd struggled um, from a mental health perspective mm -hmm. uh, leading up to that. And this was a catalyst for a, a lot of problems. Um, and, you know, ultimately just, and, and I didn't really have an option. Like, I, I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was the guy. I was on speed dial yeah. and, and I did what I had to do. And um, over time, you know, the suicidal thoughts uh, calmed down. Mental health never went away. Mm -hmm. He passed away in 2018. And, um, you know, you know, the, the, the term I've learned in the past few years is it's parentified. So I, I was parentified at the age of 16. So your roles changed. Our roles changed. So I became his father effectively in, in um, all but legal, legally, basically. So uh, making decisions he had to make when he was struggling. I knew all his doctors. <laughs> he knew everything. Um, so that was that was a challenge. And again, you do what you got to do, right? It wasn't. Uh, yeah. And sign up for that. <laughs> and so that must have changed your view of, of mental health uh, yeah. problems. Yeah. Um, is has that what 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 kind of sort of what was the before and after? I think. So it was. I learned a lot through the experience, right? And I mean, especially acutely, you know, around the age of sixteen, because. Um, you know, he was, and I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, right now, but he was he was verbally abusing my, my sister, and I became her protector. Um, and, you know, um, putting your <laughs> putting your fists up in front of your father is not something you ever, ever conceive that you're yeah. ever going to have to do. And I never had to hit him, but I threatened him. Yeah. And I said, like, this is not, this is not okay. I didn't have the empathy that I had for him. I just, I just felt like it was happening to me, to my sister, um, and I didn't, I, I, I didn't have the, um, the opportunity to kind of remove myself from the situation and build up what I'll call the empathy muscle, if you will. Um, but after the, the breakup happened and after that, that abuse ended by virtue of not being in the same room anymore, my, my, my sister and him. Um, you know, I started developing a lot of empathy for what he was going through. Um, so I, I went from a place of judgment, if you will, um, not understanding what was happening, to a place of empathy, as I understood more and more that he really didn't have, he wasn't making conscious choices. He was he was almost a victim of, of what happened to, to him in his life, growing up, and the physical abuse and mental and verbal abuse that he had, that, as I learned over the years, was extreme. And um, yeah, so the empathy 
really, really built up. And so did that empathy and that understanding you know, translate into your life going forward? Is, is it a piece of... Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's, um, I think one of the most important things is I don't, I don't have any fear or judgment of myself or others about talking about mental health. So I, um, it's, a, it's a conversation that I have objectively um, uh, with people I care for or who um, I, I work with. Um, and it's not, it's not like some people feel that they, they can't engage in that conversation. I almost feel like I have an obligation to actually engage in those conversations just to put it on the table. And if it's not an issue, that's okay. But if it's an issue, um, what I've experienced is people feel embraced um, that someone actually sees them. A relief that, yeah. that there's no judgment there. Yeah. yeah, and that they have an opportunity to actually speak, right? Yeah. I mean, because sometimes, or sometimes, I think all the time, we all spend so much time in our head. Like, <laughs> it's, so, it's so much time uh, in our head, and we always feel there's there's so much more judgment of us than, than there is. I mean, I think so, someone said recently, um, that uh, as individuals, we grossly overestimate how much people actually think about us. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. So it's like... <laughs> I, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. You know, we think about ourselves much more than other people think about us. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, in, in that context, are there, are there sort of things that um, you would advise people to, to do when they're sort of faced with um, no family or friends who have have um, you know decompensated and have, have problems. Is there is there something that really um, helped you to to work through that? Yeah, I think there, there's there's a couple of things. I think one thing that I that I've learned to do is to always come from a place of assuming that whoever I'm with um, um, or working with or whatever whoever I'm, I'm, I'm engaging. Um, has something going on in their life, right? Like it's it's, and it's not like it's a um, a problem Olympics where you know my problem is bigger than yours or like it's it's everybody's got something going on. Uh, may not be that day, but generally they've got something going on, and it and it could be parents, it could be kids, it could be colleagues themselves. So if if you have that that. Um, so vulnerability, courage to actually have the conversations, people will engage with you and they'll actually feel uh, blessed for actually having someone to, uh, to engage with. And, and if you come from a place of empathy, that assuming that someone's got something going on in their life, there's no downside to doing that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So my experience, people, people and, I, and I've been blessed with over the years with um, Especially with my some of my LinkedIn writing of people reaching out to me with um, extremely personal things because they see me as someone who they can they can actually engage with. Right? Absolutely, and um, and that that's actually a big impetus for for our conversation today is that you know I, I read um, a LinkedIn post that you did probably about three months ago yeah. or four months ago. And um, I realized that you've done other posts as well. Um, and it was really focused on how, um, how you can sort of round that square of our lives, so to speak, 
you know, make make that make the uh, make our lives sort of uh, the, the balance we're looking for. And and you brought up this term ikigai, and um, you know, I've I've read some on ikigai, and uh, and but I really want to understand it from from your experience and what that means to you and what. Um, what it, um, it it represents. So so ikigai's. Uh, so first of all, is a Japanese concept. Um, you know, about seven eight hundred, uh, like the year seven or eight hundred. Um, I, I actually like lots of lots of people didn't know what ikigai until about two thousand seventeen, and, and my one of my friends and colleagues, um, as we were having this lunch kind of uh, intellectual conversation about what was going on in the world and us personally, he, he actually said, you're talking about Ikigai. And I said, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, Ikigai. So I, I, I started a, a, uh, a path on Ikigai at that point and, and, and simply stated it's, it's a Venn diagram of four circles of, uh, on the one side, um, what you are passionate about and what you do really well. And then on the other side, more the external is what the organization or the world needs and what the organization or the world is willing to reward. And if you look at those four circles, the overlap in the center is your EP guy. And um, it, it just seemed like a really intuitive, simple um, uh, paradigm to, 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 to look through. And so in 2017, I actually looked and, and did the exercise. I kind of went through and said, okay, well, where where am I in, in terms of my my journey? And, and, and I was looking more from a professional perspective. Um, and in 2017 was 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 great. Like I, I looked at it. And so as a matter of interest, what what was the the outcome at that point? So so I had a, a, a lot in my EK guy, and um, so a lot of things that just to be clear, like what I was passionate about. There's a line between what I was passionate about what I was really good at, what the organization I was working at the time uh, needed, and, and what the organization was willing to reward. So like, if you look at it, 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 it's not like a percentage type thing, but like 80% of what I was doing was in Ikigai at that point. Um, it was, there was like alignment and everything. There were some things that I was passionate about, wasn't really good at, that's okay. There was stuff that I was good at that I wasn't passionate about, really good. Um, but for the most part, in 2017, I had, I had a ton. It was a rich Nike uh, guy, and um, you know, I looked at it. And I was, I was happy. There was no real need to, to make any changes at that point. So, and so, so, did things change over time? Was there an evolution, either in a, you know, positive or negative direction? Yeah. So, um, in, in the next two years, like by 2019. There had been lots of changes, um, and, and look at the world we're living in right now. Right? So, um, lots of changes in, in our organization, and um, just I just noticed, you know, I started kind of there was an itch, and I started saying, okay, hey, listen, maybe it's time to actually do this analysis again because there's given these changes. Am I is there that same alignment that I had in 2017? So, were you feeling that sort of? Was that a gut feel, or was it? Uh, it, it was a gut feel. Yeah. It was. It was really um, kind of noticing what was happening in the organization, um, how I was intersecting with the organization, and and maybe there wasn't as much. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll use the word alignment in terms of 
what, what I was really passionate and good at and what the organization um, needed and was willing to reward. Um, so I, I, if I use the word embrace, I didn't feel as embraced in terms of the, the alignment, yeah. where I felt really embraced before it was less so. Uh, and that, that was potentially partially changes that I uh, had and yeah. potentially partially changes that uh, the organization made, right? So. And so, so did you, did that sort of spur you to start thinking about things or to, to you know, examine in, in greater depth? Uh, absolutely. Like, so in 2019, I started a lot of soul searching. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 that in 2019, I spent two days going through an analysis of just, you know, I basically sat in my office and it was a bit of a meditation for for two days and told the family, okay, give me some space and just kind of let me just go through. And I started saying, okay, you know, it was almost like a chess chess match kind of going, okay, well, if there's if there's something in this part of the, the Venn diagram, what could I do potentially to move things um, so that I could get closer to Ikigai? Um, and um, so, I, so I decided, okay, I'm gonna make, make some of these changes. And um, over the next you know, ballpark two years, uh, tried to make changes and, um, um, you know, between me changing, the organization changing, there was even, even less alignment. And, and I see that objective, right? Yeah. It was a great organization, but the alignment wasn't there. And so, um, you know, went through the analysis again. And, 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 and during, during, and I'll say the word COVID, because it's, it's, you know, so over, over COVID, there is, you know, I discovered Stoic philosophy. Like I had heard about it before, but over, over, uh, over COVID really um, went deeper on Stoic philosophy and, and the whole concept of you know um, compartmentalizing and, and acknowledging to yourself yeah. what you control what you have absolutely no control over and what you have partial control over and i just realized there's a bunch of things that in 2019 i thought i had some level of control over and i just acknowledged myself over time that i i had no control over them and that's okay like it's, it's it is what it is right so um uh yeah and and yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, so with that, then you, you were evolving. Yeah. Uh, to uh, sounds like a different place than where you were. Yeah. And then you you had to make a I guess a bigger decision. Yeah. Was that was that the, the pathway? Yeah. So it's it's kind of funny uh, because part of my exercise uh, last summer, so summer of 2021, was really. To, to read my past articles um, uh, from 2017 and 2019. And I kept on coming back and reading and rereading the end of the 2019 article that said, um, if, you, if you, um, you think you should or could have more Ikigai and you have tried whatever you could in the organization, you can't, you can't increase Ikigai, then you need to leave the organization. And I was, I was literally looking at myself in the mirror saying, okay, <laughs> you said this, yeah. you told the world this, now do you have the chops to actually execute on that? As hard as that will be, you're living yeah. a great organization, it's gonna be, there'll be financial repercussions, it's potentially losing friends, potentially a whole bunch of heart-wrenching things, right? Um, and I just finally came to the conclusion I have to. Like I had to, had to, had to. So was there one part of that that was most important, or was was it sort of a compendium? 
of, of the whole yeah. the whole ikigai. But what I what I normally now over time have, have kind of landed on in terms of trying to explain it is is the, that feeling of being embraced, mm-hmm. and that's the one thing that I was lacking for whatever reason. Yeah. Maybe it's stuff I did or thought or maybe it's organization. I don't know, mm-hmm. but. That, that I was lacking that feeling of being embraced. The feeling of having a home. Yeah, yeah. feeling a home, and and I have a a, a personal motto um, that is FIOLO, and it's I won't swear, but it's uh, forget it. Let's call it. You only live once, and and so so you know there's an element of saying okay, this is going to be hard, but you've got to do it, and. There's no dress rehearsal over here. <laughs> let's just let's just do it as painful as we and and you know and then the stoic concept also of just looking and saying, well, it's stoic and there's also general philosophy of just saying, listen, don't be so anxious about the the bad things that could happen. Think about like all the positive that could happen. And as I started to reframe my mindset on that, um, that got me really excited about saying, okay, like let's make this change and. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't work. I think it will work, but again, like like the the Paris days, like what's the worst that could happen? And so, so yeah. Well, there's that the psychology research that says that um, you know what you fear in the future is never as bad as yeah. what you fear to be, mm-hmm. and and you know what has happened in the past is never you know uh, never as uh, as important as it, as you thought it might be. Yeah, and so it, it seems like that's that's a truism. Absolutely, for me, for me at least, it was it was really. I looked at it and said, okay, well, don't be so anxious about <laughs> all the changes. Maybe change will be super exciting, and you know what doors will open that you didn't believe existed. Um, and and, it, and it, you know, I think it, you know, I described it recently to, to my wife as as a bet of myself, right, and just kind of. You know, um, I, I got this basically, and you know, if, if so it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You're not in a year into it, right? You're into your change or your your switch. Yeah. Um, yeah. How's it going so far? So it's going great. So it's going great. I mean, um, yeah. So um, I'm two months in, and yeah, feeling embraced. So, which is a great, great feeling, right? And you know. Part of it, admittedly, is I, you know, I architected what I wanted to do in this new organization. So um, I had lots of help, lots of work to do that, um, but a lot of leeway um, you know, to, to, to architect that. So in a way, I was, I was kind of given a blank canvas from my ikigai. <laughs> I was asked, okay, well, what do you want to do that's going to fill up your ikigai and go do that? So so that's that's been good. So. so you, you've, you've published a few of these, and then that most recent one was published, and uh, and so I hear that there's quite a response. <laughs> I mean, what, tell me what tell me what happened, uh, or what the what the effect of that is. The effect has been yeah. so so it's actually been remarkable, and I, I was I was so bold in in, in the article to actually. Uh, have like an advisory at the beginning saying, you know, like, this is, some people will make life-changing decisions based on, on this article, so be forewarned. And um, that's exactly what, what has happened. So if you look at, that was my 29th 
the 30th article that I've written on, on, on uh, LinkedIn. Um, and until now, my highest uh, view count was about 1,200. And this one's uh, either at or over 5,000 views now. So that's like two months or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, really, really significant mm -hmm. pickup. I think the, um, the really fascinating thing, even more so than the views, is there, yes, there were lots of comments. Um, but I've received probably um, about seven, 70, 70 people mm -hmm. have reached out either by email, text, or, that's, or LinkedIn. That's almost unheard of. I mean, yeah. you know, what what would you get from other from some of the other artists? Did you have any? Four. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what were they, so, what, what was the what was the um, the message that, that they wanted? The question that they wanted to. So, so um, it's interesting. So there was there's a bunch of one, and, and I don't usually look at it this way, but some people were saying this, and and the comments to me was the the, the extreme vulnerability and courage mm -hmm. um, that that I displayed in, in the article. I mean, I just look at it as just something I, I do, but um, other people saw it as as that, and that they were they were emboldened by that. So they were um, they appreciated that, and they appreciated. Like understanding the journey that I've gone through, and the, and the paradigm I used to actually make the decisions. Um, like tons of people also reached out, um, and, and this was people I knew and people I didn't know, which was fascinating because normally it's people I know who reach out. Yeah. These are just random people, and it was shared and reshared and reshared article. So people reaching out saying, "Hey, I've been thinking about making a change in, in my own career." Uh, my own life, and you gave me basically the the steps to go through to actually think through that. And um, probably five people reached out saying, "Hey, I've been looking at, and after reading your article, I can't not leave my organization." Um, and the intention, to be clear, was not to have people leave their organization. The intention was really just to say, "This is a this is a, this is a paradigm that you can use to actually." Um, assess where you are, and do you need to make changes, right? But it was just powerful just to see people um, sending notes, and sometimes there were three, four, five pages heartfelt notes. And, and, and again, some people I haven't seen in 10 years, mm -hmm. 20 years. So why do, why do you think it resonated so much? Is I, I, it, is it yeah. the times, or is it, uh, is it um, you know, the way society is right now? Did you have I, I, I have, you know, I mean, I have a view, and, and like I don't know, I don't know how much, um, how valid it is, but it, it, my my own personal view I'll, I'll share with you is that over COVID, uh, there's been so much uncertainty. People have had so much uh, change. Their lives have been personal and professional have been in flux, um, and and everything is. For many people, not for all, obviously, but for many people, they've still like life still goes on. So I think their their appreciation for their capacity to take on change, their capacity to actually self-reflect, has increased. Sometimes I think, for the most part, is actually much to their surprise. Mm -hmm. And um, I think when they see somebody leaving. 
after 30 years in one organization, literally jumping off the diving board, blindfolded. <laughs> to a certain extent, they're going, holy, okay, like, yeah. if, if this, if, if this guy <laughs> decided to do this, I should probably go through this exercise. So it's, uh, yeah. So do you think that that also was, um, you know, sort of linked to what's called the great resignation for want of a better uh, term? You know, the, the wholesale, um, you know, desired people not to go back to the, to the work that they were doing. Yeah, I think it's, it's people reevaluating what's important to them. Right. Do I need to make X dollars or can I do 50% of X and will I be still be happy? Um, do I want to like, do I want to commute long distances? Do I want to live in the country? Do I want to travel more? There's all these things people are, are, are um, I guess if you will, removing shackles that they previously perceived to have had on them themselves and they're allowing themselves to make decisions based on what they want and um, maybe they didn't even actually reveal to themselves before what they wanted you know I have a, a banker friend we talked at the beginning of, of, of COVID about the fact that people really reevaluating re whether they needed that expensive car or are they actually happy to have less of a salary but actually more family time yeah um, so I think that great resignation um, you know that is that is part of it. It's really, you know, if 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 the organization and there isn't that alignment that I talked about earlier with the red, if the organization, people have I think more courage to to actually um, make changes that they previously would not have, have made, um, you know, or even they, they potentially perceive that they had some form of golden handcuffs that they kind of went, you know what. I'm not, I'm not hand to mouth right now. I, I have some capacity to, for risk, so I'm gonna make a change. And that's what we're gonna do, so. So I do, I do think that's probably for the better. Absolutely. For the long run. I think yeah. you'll have more happy people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly that has to be in any product of this, right? If, you know, historically, if people were, felt stuck in their careers, um, you had a level of empathy for them, I think right now there's there's a lot more people making changes. So I think you you would I don't know, I think if people aren't happy, I think there's a much higher chance now that they will make a change to actually be more happy. Far more acceptable. Yeah, far yeah. more acceptable yeah. and and I think, you know, even if there's a, a bit more risk or even if it's less income, um, you know, I think they're their propensity to take on that, that change is, is much higher than it was two, three years ago. So clearly for you, you're, you're happy with the change and with the... Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm definitely happy with the change. I, I think I think one thing that, that as I reflected on it that was, I think if I look forward 10, 20 years and then look back on this time, I think probably the thing I, I may ultimately be the most happy about is the fact that my kids saw me make a change like 30 years into an organization. Yeah. They'll probably never admittedly be 30 years in an organization, but they may have to make a tough decision. Yes. That is that is hard, but hopefully they'll think back and go, hey, you know, dad did it. <laughs> you know, when he was 51 years old. Yeah. And, you know, so it's a lesson for them that hopefully they 
they may not, it hasn't you know, congealed yet, but maybe five, 10, 20 years from now, they do. So that leads me to our final question. Yeah. Um, what would you tell the younger Mark Joyner, the, the 50 year old or the 25 year old Mark Joyner? So, knowing what you know now. Yeah, knowing what I know now. It's <laughs> <laughs> like another hour. Um, so, so I think, I think it's 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 trying to be, um, trying to make time to reflect on what's important to you, right? Um, and 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 acknowledging and um, allowing yourself to have that change over time with circumstances. Um, you know, I've never felt locked into a long-term future, and, and and I've always, you know, um, I would probably do it more so than I actually did. But you know, at 15, 25, like you say, look and say, okay, where, um, you know, in the in the strategy we'll talk strategy world, we'll talk about emerging strategies. That's what's a static strategy. Like I don't I don't want to just get to this place. I want to move towards that, but if something happens in two or three years, I change my perspective on life. Some you know, life happens. Uh, allowing yourself to actually change um, and, and, and pursue potentially a different trajectory of where you're going to go, um, but having that 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 time to self-reflect um, is is critical. I don't think we do it enough. I think we uh, spend so much time trying to please others, um, but if we actually spend a moment and like pause and try to understand, okay, well, am I happy? Could I be more happy? Um, what would that look like? What would need to be true for that to happen? And actually to have the courage to pursue it. So do you take time every day to to meditate or to you know, spend some time sort of look, looking inward? Is that is that part of your practice or is it? So, so it isn't. Um, Two three years ago, <laughs> I was like on a, on a roll for meditation. I was really excited about it. I should actually get back into it. Admittedly, um, I, I found it really powerful. Um, so I I'm a reader. I'm constantly reading, um, and and uh, and I'm a cyclist. So I spend a lot of time, um, uh, you know, either moving on the bike, just thinking about life. Uh, as an extreme extrovert, I'm, I'm off, I often shock people with my introversion tendencies in terms of ability and um, and the time I'm in, as I said that I spend self-reflecting, right, and trying to understand, you know, could I have been better? Um, and often the answer is yes. <laughs> so and it's okay. Well, how how could I be ten percent better tomorrow than than I was today, right? So. Well, great, uh, Mark. I want to thank you very much for for coming and, and sharing your thoughts. Uh, it's been it's been really inspirational, and uh, keep writing on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, thank you very much for the opportunity, Ray. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Great, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Winding Life Podcast. Special thanks to Greg Mano for audio and video recording and production, and to Nick Wright for audio editing and production.